Hello and welcome back to the What The Fork Sunland Preview Podcast. Life as a Sunland fan is never boring, is it? Following a defeat to bottom the league Wigan Athletic, we smashed second from top Lincoln City 4-0 before our almost entire team went down with COVID-19 and somehow we managed to struggle to a 1-1 draw with AFC Wimbledon last night. So, assuming Saturday goes ahead, our next task is an away trip to Shrewsbury Town and to preview Saturday's game with ourselves is Ollie from the best Shrewsbury podcast in the land, Salopcast. How are you doing, Ollie? Are you all right? Yeah, I'm good, thank you, mate. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely not a problem in the slightest. Um, I think much like ourselves this season, things haven't gone completely to plan for yourselves this season and you've changed manager. So Sam Ricketts came to Shrewsbury, you know, highly rated, I would say, but you never really seemed to get going from what I could see from you guys and what you post on Twitter. How do you sum up Sam Ricketts' spell in charge? Yeah, it was... Um... Yeah, an interesting, interesting era now looking back, obviously it's a couple of weeks now. Um, flatter to deceive, I think is probably a fair summary. Um, he talked a good game and clearly he knows football. You know, he's obviously, you know, he's a qualified coach. He played highest level of the game. Um, but I think he fundamentally struggled to kind of, how to say this, translate his ideas to the players. Um, even last season when we finished 15th, I do question if we would have actually finished 15th if the season ended. Um, we had some good runs in the in the in the Cubs, but that suggests that maybe the players are up for those games a bit more. Um, and we kind of struggled with our bread and butter in the league. Like we scored, didn't score enough goals. Um, and this season was just awful. Um, I think he left on thirteen games with one win, which is clearly just not very good. Especially with you know Shrewsbury have not got a squad you know where we should be pushing the playoffs. But I think most people, journalists and fans alike, would say that Shrewsbury have a solid League One team, and we shouldn't really be in a relegation zone. So yeah, really pleased that era is over. Um, and yeah, it's really nice to be able to. It's really weird, isn't it, when you have a manager who isn't doing very well? I'm sure you guys are similar um, with your last manager, where you love your team so much but you know that losing a game mean that maybe the pain will end sooner. It's almost like pulling that plaster off. You almost need to, which is really weird feeling. You know, you don't really want your team to, to struggle, but yeah, we're in this new era now um, and everyone's much happier. Talking about um, Shrewsbury in general, I suppose I'm, I'm asking you to go back a few years here and probably give me the short answer to a very, very long question, I suppose. But when we first came down, obviously, I think we drew 1-1 and we won 2-0 at your place. Um, but when, when we first came down, you were classed as one of the teams that would be pushing for promotion based on sort of previous years. I think you got that checker trade. The same as us, you got a checker trade final and a player final in the, in the same year like we did in our first season. And you're probably right in what you're saying. I think from the outside looking in, Shrewsbury shouldn't have been 23rd, which is where they were when Samra gets left. You should be at least pushing mid-table with the squad you have. So that's still a bit of a contrast from, you know, promotion or playoff hopefuls. So where, where did it start to go wrong? Obviously, Paul Hurst left, but where did it start to go wrong outside of that, that Shrewsbury became mid-table and then below mid-table and then, unfortunately, in a relegation zone and just getting out of it? But how did that change so fastly and what was the main, the main cog that changed it? Yeah, so we had that team that did really well. Um, it's quite funny talking about it now because, yeah, the players' names are even bigger than they were, say, we talked about this two years ago. Yeah. So we had Ben Godfrey in yeah. central midfield. He played a defence midfield role in the pivot, who's now playing in the Premier League and is a multi-million pound transfer player. And we had ben Hen uh, Dean Henderson in goal, who we said at the time, I said at the time, he would play for England when he was playing in League One for Shrewsbury. Some of the saves he made were just like, wow, like... How has he got to that? Um, so yeah, we had, and then we had, um, we had um, Carl Morris on loan, who was really good. Um, 
he did had a really good season. And for me, it was just like almost the perfect storm. We had a manager that was quite pragmatic, was quite, you know, made the team really fit. And we had a good blend of young kids that were really ambitious with some really experienced pros. And we just got this basically like the first game of the season, we scored in like the 90th minute against um, Northampton. And I do wonder what would happen if we hadn't won that game. And then we just started snowballing. Then what happened at the end of the season was Paul Hurst left. But as you know, contracts at this level are normally two years. So we lost all the players on loan. And then a lot of the players that kind of left us went on to other clubs, never really actually kind of did anything. Agogo, um, Agogo and Rodman and some of these guys kind of moved on. Their careers never really went any higher. So they kind of all just fell apart. And then what we did then is then we, we continued the, the strategy of recruiting an up-and-coming manager, but we've gone, got John Askey, who came from Macclesfield, and without saying too much, I did hear things about training and stuff, and it wasn't very good. And then yeah, we went for Sam Ricketts, which was a similar mould, and basically just hasn't worked. Um, and then what's happened under Sam Ricketts is Sam Ricketts took responsibility of everything. And we used to have a really good head of recruitment called Adam Henshaw, who actually went to Doncaster Rovers. And our recruitment has got worse since he left. And it's really, really crazy, actually, that Cottrell's come in and he's put all those things back in place, um, which is, yeah, really good news for us because then we can, yeah, start looking at upwards again. Quite interesting. You said the head of recruitment went to, to Doncaster because we played Doncaster the week and I had a Doncaster fan on and they've obviously got loans from Arsenal, Man City, um, you know, Premier League clubs, which is very similar to probably what you had at that time. Um, I don't know if Norwich were in the Premier League at the time. Was that where Carl Morris had came from at the time? Yeah, so Carl Morris came from Norwich. Ben Coffey came from Norwich. And I can't remember if they were in the Premier League or if they were in the... I think they were in the Championship that year. Yeah. Um, but clearly, yeah, clearly him, Adam Henshaw and the manager. Um, but I think it's probably must have been quite a bit with Henshaw, built a good relationship um, with and with 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 like yeah, bigger teams, which gave them the confidence. And it's really interesting. We actually had um, someone from Norwich come to see us and see and they were really surprised how good the training ground was and how good the facilities were and actually you know at that time we were you know quite advanced in terms of using data and having analysts and you know, gps tracking and training and stuff um so yeah it's a shame that all kind of fell apart but i guess that just shows and obviously we've seen it this season with oxford um, league one is just a crazy crazy league now we've played um the top five uh, it would have been the top six seven if charlton had not dropped down to seventh but there isn't really much between them. We haven't played you guys yet, but, you know, we've played, you know, played Atkinson, a really good team, Charlton, a good team, you know, Lincoln, but we none of them are really special. Yeah. There's no team that has that kind of X factor. So that season we nearly went up. Blackburn, Rovers and Wigan were just miles above everyone else in terms of quality. Don't have that this season, which I guess for you guys is probably even more frustrating because if you've got a couple of good players, maybe even just a good, a better striker and a, you know, a better midfielder, with a good manager and you'd walk this league, it's probably more yeah. frustrating for you guys knowing that. That's how it feels. I think in the in previous seasons, we would have completely fell away. I think we're ninth at the minute, but um, no one wants to win League One and, and anyone can beat anyone. It's like, I used to say that was the championship and I thought League One was a bit different, but you're right in what you're saying. Anyone at any level, at any ground can be anyone, especially with the, the current COVID situation. Um, one thing I have found quite interesting with Shrewsbury, over the time, because obviously I've followed you guys for a few years now, and every time a manager does go or a manager's not doing well, you kind of do with Sunderland, and there's always rumours where Paul Hurst is linked to it. But universally, I would say almost anyway, uh, Shrewsbury fans seem to be completely against that idea. Has the relationship between yourselves and Paul Hurst disintegrated to that point, or is it just a case that he hasn't kicked on and you think, nah, progressive? 
It's interesting you say that. I guess it'd be interesting to which counts you've seen that from because I'd say probably just above above majority would probably actually want would wanted Paul Hurst back. Oh really? Um, but then so yeah, it's probably quite close. Probably a bit like the Brexit vote. It's quite quite close <laughs> on both sides. Um, yeah, some people are thinking, yeah, let's just get this manager back who was so successful. Um, yeah, knowing um, what I know, he was never ever going to come back. Um, so I guess when you know that and you've been told that, um, you kind of put it to bed. Um, and for me, I always think it's always best to go forward. You look at um, Bradford, keep getting Stuart McCall back. And yeah, I just don't really understand why you keep getting the same manager back all the time, especially when there's so many different, you know, you know it's all about, you know, a lot of management is about personalities and stuff. And yeah, the likelihood of Paul Hurst repeating that feat, to me, it seems really small. So yeah, why not go with someone fresh? There's so many people out there. Why not go for someone new? Coming from the man myself that said I would love Gus Poirier back about two weeks ago, I suppose I was <laughs> going to agree with you there, but it's a funny similarity because it does tend to happen with Sunderland. You always get the, the Roy Keane and the should Gus Poirier come back. And I think Gus was really, really close to coming back to Sunderland and that would have been an exciting appointment, but I'm very, very comfortable with Lee Johnson. So I understand, you know, why you very much feel the same way. Before I move on to the, the new manager and stuff like that, I think you've kind of alluded to it, but sort of straightforward question. When Ricketts was sacked, you were winless in, I think it was eight at the time, sitting second bottom of the league. Was the run of form entirely Ricketts' fault or was there other matters at play as well? Um, yeah, that's a really good question. Um, I'll start with that by saying that the players continued to work for him. They never stopped, which is really interesting, which says, says a lot about the players mm-hmm. um, and maybe says a bit about the relationship with the players. They obviously did like him. Um, and they were working for him. Um, but yeah, did they fear him? I'm not saying you should fear every manager, but I think, you know, every good football manager has a little bit of a steel side to them. You know, a little bit of something where you kind of like, you know, who's the most successful manager at the moment? Klopp. You know, I'm sure his players love him, but they know that he's got this like kind of dark side to him that, yeah. and I think you need that in a football manager, especially it's a, it's not a normal office environment, is it? It's football's quite a different, unique um, kind of working environment. Um, so yeah, for me, for me, how do I put this? I actually started like a list in February this year of why we should have sacked the manager. So way back then, there was just things that I just just felt that weren't working. We didn't seem to learn from our mistakes. And we'd set ourselves up really well against new against sides. And and then 20 minutes into the game, the opposition would just turn the game. And Sam Ricketts could never change a game in a game. We never ever, he never made a substitution or he would very rarely make a tactical change to actually change the game in our favour. Um, and when, you, that, when that's happened to you consistently, um, you kind of question. And then recruitment's been really, really poor um, this, this, this summer. Um, I think we, we panicked at the end and signed a couple of older players. Um, so, yeah, all kind of facets of the game. And then, you know, it's never good when the manager's getting quite spiky with the media, doesn't really answer questions properly. Um, which kind of gives you a bit of an insight to what's going on. But in terms of how we were playing, we were, and also I guess another way of putting it as well is quite interesting is, you know, you hear things through different people who've got connections to the game. Yeah. And um, the rumours and messages from opposition players was that we were tiring after 35 minutes and that we were nothing special at all. Um, I think it was a North, coming from a Northampton player, even said that in his press conference, saying I don't know why we respected them for the first 20 minutes. And then they went on to win. And other players are saying that about us as well. So, yeah, those in the industry were kind of being quite um, critical of Shrewsbury. It's quite interesting, the, the similarities between sort of what you're saying there, maybe not the fitness side of things and, and Phil Parkinson. Because I think, 
you play three five two, which it looks like Cockrell's continued with, but I've seen a lot of criticism towards him being quite rigid in that system, which is identical to Parkinson. Um, it just wasn't working. We've changed it. But interestingly enough, I suppose I should probably ask this question first before I go into it. Steve Cockrell, um, before we go into his formation, the fact that he stayed with that, he's the man who came in to replace Ricketts. And I'll be honest, it's a long time ago, but his time with Sunderland is probably probably laughed at in points, but that's probably more Howard Wilkinson's fault than anything else. Um, and he was very young at the time, and I don't think he'd really been a big manager or been a manager at many clubs, I think one club at the time. But he's actually had a really good career at this level. Um, I spoke to a Bristol City reporter last week, and they absolutely love him at Bristol City because he dominated this league. Um, he's gone on to have a fairly decent career, is basically what I'm saying. But what did you make of the appointment when it was first announced? Because it seemed a bit of a uh, left to centre, shall we say? Yeah, it's funny. Yeah, it's funny. Um, for the Shrews fans, it wasn't so much because the chairman has been known for a long time that the chairman has a good relationship with Steve Cottrell. Mm-hmm. And there was a, uh, this is a very random little story. But when we got relegated to the conference many moons ago, um, the chairman actually asked Steve Cottrell for a meeting and they met for four hours at a motorway service station. And he spoke to him about what you need to do to get out of the conference. And I think the chairman's always thanked him for that. And I think they've been remaining in contact, you know, not every year or, you know, they weren't texting each other every week, but, you know, every every year or so they were still making contact. So apparently as soon as Sam Ricketts got sacked, um, literally like an hour later, the chairman phoned up Steve Cotter and offered him the job. Um, in terms of were we surprised or whatever, what were my initial thoughts? I wasn't overwhelmed at first, if I'm honest. I thought, oh, we've got a manager that's, you know, been sacked before, you know, that's my impression of him. You know, he's went to all these different clubs in the championship. Um, and he's kind of yeah, been sacked. And, and my timeline quickly got dominated by two sets of fans. Lots of unhappy Blues fans being quite negative about him. And yeah. then lots of Bristol City fans on the other side saying he was, you know, the best thing since sliced bread. Um, Shrewsbury Town, Town fans, we'd had Paul Hurst, we had John Askey and we had Sam Ricketts. And they're all up and coming young managers that are managed at a lower level. And one of the things that a lot of Shrewsbury Town fans were saying was we'd rather have an experienced head. Um, and I think, you know, we were, we were never really, we were never going to afford or attract a Lee Johnson or a Danny Cowley because we just don't have the budget for their ambition and fair, that's fair enough. Um, so for me, as interesting as chatting to a few friends, I don't think Shrewsbury fans are ever really going to be too excited about a manager appointment. Yeah. You, know, you know, there's very few clubs um, that are, and probably Sunderland as well now, you know, you know, there's very few clubs that are going to get a manager and go, yeah, he's exactly the man we wanted. Like Liverpool fans got Klopp. You know, yeah. most clubs are going to have, most fan bases are going to be upset in some way. And I, yeah, I said this to a few fans. Shrewsbury fans are never going to be happy when they get an appointment because either we're going to get a manager that's been sacked a lot and has a history of, you know, not performing so well or has performed and not performed, you know, that kind of mix. Or we're going to have someone who's untried and tested and the fans say he's the cheap option. So, yeah, the ball are never really going to win in that sense. Um, but, yeah, so we signed Cottrell, um, heard good things about from Bristol City fans. Um, and then his first press conference wow like it was just a breath of fresh air um he is clearly an absolute football nut like he's just obsessed with football yeah um and he's just so passionate about the game um one of the things that was really kind of getting quite frustrating for town fans especially when you're doing a podcast is that he never sam ricketts never gave anything away like he was scared to like tell anything to the media so he would just Basically, if you wrote down what he'd said, 
I then tried to repeat it. It just didn't really, didn't, there's nothing in it. You know, I stopped watching post-match interviews, which is not really great for a podcast because that's, you know, forms part of your agenda. But there was just nothing in it. There was nothing to say, nothing to report, nothing to comment on. And yeah, Steve Cottrell's, every, every town fan is watching the, the, the press conferences now because they're really interested. And he's talking about, you know, he's training, training the central defenders to, you know, do the basics and like open their shoulders out. Or he's talking about the positional play of certain players or he's sharing bits of information about how we're going to set up. Um, and yeah, from his press conferences, even just the first one, um, I just felt really confident that we had the right man that was going to take us forward. Um, and then on back of that, he brought in a head of recruitment straight away. So we've got Keith Burt from Cambridge and we've put in Cambridge in the FA Cup and they've signed some good players. So that's promising. Um, he's brought in an, an experienced, sorry, an experienced player in Aaron Wilberham, an assistant manager who's just retired from Rochdale, he's 40. And it's really fascinating his interview because Cottrell said to him, and the manager wanted me because I was only just retired. So, you know, everything he says just makes sense. Yeah, you want your assistant to be a bit younger when you're a bit older and have that connection to the players and because yeah. he's just retired. So, like, literally, like, um, there's nothing you really can kind of criticise him. And one thing I quite like about him is he's got this edge. So if the oh, media you're asking, yeah. a bit of a, asking a bit of a question that he doesn't really like or is a bit of a, maybe a daft question or a bit of a leading question, he'll, he'll, he'll be quite assertive in his in his in his messages which obviously leads to you assume that he's going to be very assertive with the players and very clear with them he's he was an interesting character in something but we're going back so far you can't really compare it but one thing that always sticks out in my mind with him at that point i mean it was a horrendous time and again i cannot really attribute any of it to him but that's the abiding memory i have of him is he always used to have a notepad on the touchline and this was when he was assistant obviously under howard wilkinson i'm guessing he's ditched the notepad by this no point. he had that on i saw that last Did night he? Yeah, he did. But for me, like, what's wrong? I don't see a problem with that. Um, for me, he was he was talking to a centre half um, who we've obviously from a couple of years ago. We had a really good defence last year, and it completely fallen apart this year. And um, we were conceding like really, really simple goals, really scrappy goals. Um, and he's talking to the centre back, and we've had two clean sheets against Norwich and um, not Norwich, Lincoln and Hull. Yeah. So, yeah, if he's using that notepad to kind of organise, and I guess maybe that's just a bit of a change of times. I guess back in the days, maybe he was just doing stuff ahead of time. And now having laptops and notes and stuff is, is the norm. Um, and interestingly, about the, going back to his time at Birmingham, um, a lot of like fans, some fans who I was speaking to, you were, who were like being a bit more positive about him, were saying, well, actually, Apparently Cottrell did a lot of the work when they were when Harry Redknapp was at Birmingham and they had some a little bit of success and won a few games. And apparently Cottrell was doing all the training sessions. So yeah, as you say, um, every situation is different. Um, but yeah, I think yeah, fair to say all time fans are pretty happy with him at the moment. Yeah, and Cottrell's time at Sunderland was a good 20 years ago. And I think, to be fair, he came in as, funnily enough, the Aaron Wilbraham, if you prefer, the young assistant manager that was meant to yeah. take over, I think, from, from Wilkinson. And unfortunately, it just never really happened. Um, you touched before on the defence changing a bit. Now, your last three games, which aren't against bad teams, as you touched before, Lincoln, Hull, uh, Charlton there's been a total of only four shots on target against you now I was touching on it a bit before he hasn't changed the formation from what I can see he's continued with the three at the back but obviously something's tightened up somewhere um, how have you managed to tighten up so fast and change that so quickly 
Yeah, it's interesting. So actually the start of the season, Sam Ricketts dropped his three at the back and went to a 4-3-3, which didn't really work that well. Um, and again, this comes back to recruitment. We have got three central defenders and yeah. we play three at the back. <laughs> so basically, like, yeah, it's the confidence of the, of the players went down. Um, results were not going very well. Players were making errors. We were scoring really crap, um, scrappy goals. Um, so confidence just kind of dropped. Um, was quite actually good actually the first game he had was against Oxford City in the FA Cup uh, but it wasn't a great performance town fans were getting really angry and I was a bit confused I was like well he's, he's been here for like three hours um, and we, we're failing in League One why is it going to be any different just because we're playing a poor opposition um, and what he's done is literally he's just gone back to basics so basically we were so when we played with Sam Ricketts we played a very kind of defensive five two three you know, not mm-hmm. the Chelsea style of 3-4-3. Three, three. So basically what happened was kind of like the front three were kind of spread across the pitch and, and kind of were pressing up front, but not really helping in midfield. And then the back five was really a back five. But what's happened now is we've actually gone to a more of a 3-4-1-2 a um, formation. And then the number 10 does drop in and fill spaces. And then last night um, in the second half, we defended most of the half, to be honest. We didn't really create a lot. Um, and basically, we just he's just got them really, really well organised. So he's got the defenders doing the basics, opening shoulders, you know, sh- shaping up well. Um, he's, I'm sure he's done some work just trying to build their confidence. Um, I think I get the impression that he's, he's kind of a neat detail. So we played Hull. And this, again, this is a good example. After the game, he was talking about how they're in, their fullbacks like to come in, cut inside. And Honeyman is one of the best creative players in the league. Oh, that would be a controversial you know. opinion on this one. <laughs> and, well, that's that's he's got the most assists in the league apparently. Um, and I his love left him. foot. Yeah. And it was really interesting because I was watching a game and Ollie Norburn, who's playing in central midfield, kept taking at these like what looked like really odd positions. And basically, he was given. And the reason that was because he was basically saying, "You can use your right foot, and I will give you this huge area of the pitch, but you wouldn't let him do anything on his left foot, and we completely shut hole down." Like absolutely shut them down. So I think it's yeah, it's a combination of just yeah, just really, really good management. Get built the players some confidence, got them back to basics in terms of their defending, and then we would defend in this like I basically yeah, in the lines three. So yeah, three, four, one, and a two, and we just cover the space. Um, Lincoln got behind us a few times when they switched the ball and overloaded with a winger and a fullback, um, but Hull were too slow at doing that. And yeah, for me, the defence has a lot to thank from the field, but the yeah. defence have also... So Ebanks, Landel, um, he had, uh, against Hull, he had an absolutely amazing game, winning headers, um, you know, winning headers, winning tackles, winning blocks. I didn't realise his, his pass percentage was only 20%. He was doing so well defending, I didn't even really notice that. Um, so yeah, it's just back to basics. And yeah, he just seems to have just built the confidence in the team really, really quickly. Yeah, and I mean, you know what? It's difficult to judge a, a team with a new manager after four games, but on paper, it's two terrific results, really. Two results that we'd be overjoyed with, let alone a team that was previously in the relegation zone and is now, I think, just out of it. I think 20, 20th or, tw- or maybe 21st, I could be wrong. Um, looking on paper, though, which is a lot of the time what you have to do from this side, because nine times out of ten when you're playing, some are playing, so I don't really get a chance to see anything outside of Quest highlights. But... Sean, Sean Wally looks like the man to, to watch. He's obviously got four league goals, a couple of assists. One thing I've noticed is that, which is strange, although you've got Jason Cummins, which is someone I know very well living in Scotland, 
Um, there appears to be no out-and-out -out striker and the goals are more shared around. Would that be a, a fair assessment or has things changed under Cottrell? No, um, I think to fix that problem, we'd have to wait for January. So we've got Leon Clark, who obviously you guys will know from playing for Sheffield United in the Premier Sheffield League, United, been yeah. injured. So that's a shame. He did look quite good, but he got injured quite early on. We've got Danny Ludo, who plays up front for us, who's come from non-league. We signed from Telford and scored quite a few goals in non-league, but clearly that's a big jump up. Um, he hasn't scored enough goals, um, but in the last few games, he has been absolutely amazing. Like the turnaround in his confidence, like holding the play up, um, his positioning has been much improved. So yeah, essentially what we're playing is up front is we're basically playing Daniel Doe as a kind of pressing forward, bit of a target man, but he's not that tall, but he's quite strong. And then Sean Worley's kind of, yeah, he's kind of making all the runs. So Sean Worley's played his, most of his career as a right winger and he's just making all the runs. So the goal against Lincoln comes from um, both Daniel Doe and Sean Worley pressed in their centre-halves. Um, Daniel Doe closed down one of the defenders. He passes a, a bad pass to his colleague, his central, co central defender colleague. Sean Morley gets the ball. Um, the central defender fouls Udo, and basically Sean's just standing there with the goalkeeper and the defender. They both seem to fall over, and he just passes the ball into the back of the net. Um, so, yeah, Sean, Sean's always been quite a frustrating player because he's probably one of the best dribblers in the league. His dribbling is, is phenomenal. He's earned us so many free kicks and penalties and getting players sent off over the years because his dribbling is so good. Um, but I've always been a bit critical of his finishing. But yeah, he's, he's been taking his chances this year. Um, going back to kind of strikers, and if Leon Clark, even if Leon Clark comes back, clearly he's he's going to be an injury risk. For me, I'd imagine that getting a, a striker is going to be a, a big priority for the manager in January. Which I find really interesting, and maybe this is kind of my own interest myself, and this might not interest anyone else, but, but Jason Cummins was was a player that when we first got relegated to the championship, I would have been more than happy for us to, to take a punt on because he was very good for Hibs. He's got a little bit of bite. Yeah, he's a little bit, well, people say he's a bit off the planet, but I think, you know, from speaking to people, he's, he's actually a really nice lad with a bit of character and someone like that in, in Scotland is not that unusual. Let me tell you that. Um, but he hasn't really done much for not just Shrewsbury, Forrest, Luton, who he was on loan with, Peterborough. He hasn't really hit the ground running at this level at all, which I find really odd, but he scored the winner against us last year, but where's it gone wrong with Jason Cummins? Yeah, without being, well, I'm going to be quite critical. Um, how can you be a professional footballer who goes to training every week and not be fit? Mm. I, I just don't understand. So the new manager comes in. So um, basically, um, um, Rick is saying he's, he's not playing because he's not fit enough. Steve Cotter comes in and said, oh, he liked to play him, but he can't because he's not that fit. Um, he seems to be trying hard, maybe too hard. In the FA Cup, he came on um, and could have passed to a doe who would have an empty net. And he was really greedy and took his chance. And that's because probably because obviously he wants to score. Mm -hmm. But yeah, he's just not fit. Like the manager said, the new manager said he's not fit enough yet to play. Um, and yeah, he's, he's clearly a player and he's, a, he's got a good finishing, but he gets to a point where you think, well, yeah, he's, he's, he didn't do anything at Luton, didn't do anything at Peterborough, didn't do anything at Forest. He's not really done anything at Shrewsbury. And um, it gets to the point where you think, well, yeah, there's nothing there, nothing lost there as such. But yeah, he just seems to be a good character. He seems to be well liked amongst the players and stuff. And managers always seem to be you know, quite favourable about him. Um, but yeah, he gets to a point soon where he's got to make a big decision. Like, is he going to get fitter and, and stay fit and, and play? Um or is he going to, I guess maybe in some defence of him, we've had so many games, training probably isn't that intense. 
Um, but he's got plenty of time and he's got enough knowledge, I'm sure, to keep himself fit. So for me, he's got, yeah, he needs to get himself fitter and get into the side because, yeah, you know, as an outsider and even as, as a Shrewsbury fan, he should be pressuring Daniel Odeau and Worley and really he should be playing ahead of them, but he's not um, because when he does play, he hasn't performed and clearly he's not a pressing and training. Because really, it's a strange one with Cummins because I would have said he was a, he could have the potential to be a top level championship striker back when he was at Hibs and now he can't yeah. even seem to hit a barn door when he's at, um, when he's at not just Shrewsbury, the clubs he's mentioned as well. So it's all yeah. an interesting one. Um, alongside, obviously, the players you've mentioned, um, I know Aaron Pierre had a really good period, I think, last season and, and sort of beforehand. But who were the men to watch for Shrewsbury, do you think, coming into the game for Sunderland? Yeah, so we've got um, a good goalkeeper on loan from Wolves. Um, he's came from Villa, then went to Wilson County on loan straight away. Ah, we were after him. Yeah, yeah. We he's really, him. really good goalkeeper. And I think actually him missing um, played a part in our defence as well. You know, the defence, obviously, he's a really good goalkeeper. Um, so I think that really helps. He made some good saves um, last night against Lincoln and really brave where he went with his hands as a, for a cross and put himself in the danger zone. He's a really good goalkeeper. Um and then, yeah, Aaron Pierre, the whole back three I'd comment on. Williams, who we signed for Man United, um, as a young kid who's good big friends with Marcus Rashford. Um, he's really good. He's really fast. Um, he looks a lot more confident. Yeah, Ebanks and, and Pierre in defence are really good. Um, Charlie Daniels is going to be a threat from set pieces. Bless him, he's cotton socks. He's working really hard. You know, he's 34 playing wing back um, in League One, which is not, an, you know, not a, an easy task. Um, in central midfield, um, Norburn and Vela have been doing really well, um, both quite uh, mobile um, and good players. Um, and then Sean Goss is an interesting one. So Sam Ricketts basically discarded um, Sean Goss and he was training with the youth players. Steve Cottrell comes in and puts him in the squad straight away and actually registered him for the league. Goss didn't realise he could be registered at all. So obviously the manager had not told him or had been that clear with him. And he's, he's been playing as a number 10. He's never played number 10 before. But against, Link, against Hull, he had an 80% pass completion playing as a number 10. And some of the balls he was playing was just amazing. Um, and then up front, Sean Worley. So, yeah, I've mentioned most of the team there. That's because they've just been playing so well in these, you know, a draw against Stanley, draw against Charlton, and then um, we'll win against Hull and Lincoln. Um, it's such so refreshing because on the podcast, we do a top three. And this season, it's been a real challenge to pick three players that have performed. And now you can almost mention the whole team. Yeah. I mean, the thing is, as well, for the people listening, if you don't know that, the wins against Lincoln and Hull came away from home as well. Yeah. They, they weren't like home games where, I mean, not, is there such a thing as a home game these days? Um, well, I think you still, I think you still used to your, your surroundings, aren't you? If you're you a right back, you know where the stanchion is. I remember, I think it was Keown talked about this. You know, when he was at Highbury, he'd, he knew where certain bits were. So he could look around and almost knew where he was on the pitch from looking at the, the ground. But yeah, clearly having fans screaming at the referee is going to have an impact. Yeah, well, I think we're missing them if you look at our home form. So I'm kind of pleased we're away. But from our them. home form is horrendous. We haven't um, we haven't won at home in the league for such a long time. So maybe yeah, it'd be nice if we could get that home win <laughs> on the if, weekend. If you're playing Sunderland, that's happens. probably going to happen. Um, just to touch quickly on on Sunderland as well, I always find it really interesting, like you know, from the outside looking in, because when you're in that bubble of Sunderland uh, Association Football Club, yeah, sometimes you can you, your opinions can differ, but. What have you made of Sunderland's season so far from what you've seen? Um, yeah, Sunderland is always a funny one because you look at their squad and clearly got players that are good at this level. Um, but yeah, I'm not surprised you changed your manager. 
um, clearly you've got um, more potential. I thought it was an odd choice. It just didn't make any sense to me when you got Parkinson. Um, he's known as a manager that plays very direct football, um, going to a side that should be dominating every game, dominating the league. It's just, for me, didn't make any sense whatsoever. And for me, it was always going to end in disaster. I'm not surprised he lasted as long as he did, to be honest. Um, so, yeah, I think for me, yeah, some, uh, yeah, so for me Sunderland probably going to be the, the best team in the second half of the season. I won't be surprised if you maybe you've got automatic promotion, um, sign a few players in January. I mean, imagine Lee Johnson's going to, yeah, probably be a bit more of a modern manager and maybe get some better players in. Um, but it's interesting, isn't it, that you'll bring in some of the other players back into the fold? Yeah. Um, you know, we tried to get, we, apparently we got really close to getting Will Grigg on loan last January. Um, and yeah, a bit like Jason Cummings, he's kind of fallen away a bit at the moment, but clearly he's got potential. And yeah, you just look at your team and yeah, you've got some really good central defenders, a really good goalkeeper. Um, there's no reason why you shouldn't be doing better than you are. Um, and for me, for me as a, as a Shrewsbury Town fan, obviously being a smaller team, um, I'm sure your, your fans will appreciate this. I'll understand where I'm coming from. It's just quite funny. You know, looking at League One, you've got Ipswich fans whinging all the time. Sunderland fans, to be fair, don't whinge at all. Um, I'd, yeah, I'd put, I wouldn't put you guys in the same bracket as a fan base, but in terms of your clubs, um, both underperforming. And next year, we could have Derby and Forest in the league as well. <laughs> it's, it's just really funny because, yeah, you've got like Shrewsbury fans and I don't know who else, who else could I mention, Gillingham fans and other clubs like that. Uh, who are just like, yeah, just enjoying football and stuff. And then you've got some other fan bases that are a bit frustrated, but... Yeah, I think Sunderland. I th- yeah, with, with your manager, obviously getting that four 0 win on um, on on Saturday just shows there's a lot of potential in this squad, um, and that's why you should only sack a manager, isn't there? You, know, you shouldn't sack them. Like I'm, I'm a bit confused about Northampton and their fans are really frustrated with Curl, but you look at their squad; it's weak. It's weaker than when it was when they were in League Two, um, and you look at our squad. Um, obviously, we would, weren't doing as well as we should do, but yeah, for me, Sunderland have got a strong squad. And, I'd expect you to push on and I'm sure Lee Johnson will um, sign a few decent players in January and you start pushing on because, yeah, I can't, where are you in the league now? You say you're ninth, ninth, but I bet you're not very many points away from the top. A couple of wins would put us in the mixer. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, 100%. And I think I was frustrated with yesterday's game, but it's difficult to it's difficult to judge based on what happened. But before I touch really quickly on the final question, what did you think of Lee, jo- uh, Lee Johnson as an appointment? Because it was... I liked what you said before about managers. You're never going to get overly excited. And I got really excited about the idea of Gus Poyet and there was a lot of romanticism in that. And of course there was. Um, when Lee Johnson came in, it was kind of a, uh, okay, yeah, fair enough. That's not too bad. But a lot of clubs from outside seemed to go, oh, really good appointment because of where we'd come from. What did you make of the appointment? Yeah, I think maybe I think maybe as an outsider, and I think this is, I think this is particularly true of Ipswich, Let's, let's talk about Ipswich other than Sunderland because, yeah, I, I keep saying this. I'm not just saying this because you're a podcast. Sunderland fans and Ipswich fans are like chalk and cheese. You know, Sunderland fans have a lot more humility and, yeah, understand where you, kind of where you are. But at the end of the day, you're a League One team. It doesn't yeah. matter if you're Sunderland. It doesn't matter if you're Man City or Southampton or whoever comes down to this division. The fact is you're a League One team. Um, um, and you're going to get managers that potentially are good enough for League One. Um, but there, you for me, you've got a championship manager. Um, Lee Johnson's the funny one. He spent so much money at Bristol City. Like, we played Bristol City last year, and they were losing something like 400k a, a month or something. They were losing millions every year. The owners put 200 million in. And not to get promoted when you're spending that amount of money is, is maybe a bit of a question. Um, 
but you know as you know managers always learn and get better um so for me yeah i think it's a great appointment for you guys um and yeah you know I, yeah i think it's a good appointment um and yeah it should be interesting to see what he just he'll play much better football which i'm sure will help please your fans but at the end of the day you want to win games um so yeah i think he's a good appointment probably a better point maybe than danny cowley but you'd imagine he's after a championship job I think something went on there somewhere. We yeah. had the, the Lincoln chairman on last week, did the preview, and he alluded to it. I unfortunately couldn't get enough as I wanted <laughs> out of him. Um, going into the game, I'd normally ask for predictions and stuff like that, but I'm, I'm probably going to change this a little bit because as I alluded to at the beginning, I said if the game goes ahead, it seems like it's going to from what I've been told, but Sunderland, it looks like they haven't confirmed the players that are self-isolating and stuff like that, but based on the, the lineup. Looks like McGeady, Maguire, Power, White, and potentially Danny Graham are going to be absentees if because I haven't heard about any injuries with them and they weren't in the lineup yesterday. So eight first team players, it was noted that weren't available yesterday due to I think one had COVID, seven had to self-isolate. You've probably seen a lot of the fallout from Sunderland fans yesterday about how bizarre it was. But what what do you think about the games going ahead when you've got that many players that are unable to play? Yeah, um, the um, Sunderland Echo um, article popped up in my timeline this morning, so I read it with the comments from the manager. And it is bizarre. There should be some really clear protocols in place and guidance of what you do. But yeah, the EFL saying, yeah, you can cancel the game at your own peril and we'll audit you afterwards um, and maybe punish you later is just really odd. <laughs> it's it's no, you know, you know, you're not a you're not a business making business decisions or. Yeah, it's, it's not like, yeah, I don't know, I can't think of an analogy, but it's just bizarre. And yeah, I would be very frustrated if we had, well, if we had eight first team players out, uh, I guess it just shows the quality of your squad and the, the depth of your squad and your youth system and stuff. Because if we lost eight players, well, we lost eight players. We've changed 10 players against Lincoln last week in the, in the Papa John's and got, and got thrashed 4-1. So I think it's a testament to the quality of your squad. But yeah, if I we lost our first eight players, yeah, we'd be absolutely screwed. Um, so yeah, I, I think your fans were quite in there, right? Too frustrated. And yeah, for me, it's just not good enough. And just, yeah, without going on a big rant about the EFL, it doesn't really surprise us, does it? Yeah, it's kind of one of those things where you can ask the question, but I think everyone's in the same opinion of recently, we can kind of see with the EFL, how they ran and stuff like that. So I suppose, like I say, I'd normally ask a final, uh, final question would be predictions, but... I'll ask a slightly different question for a final question. Does your prediction for Saturday or your outlook on Saturday's game change based on the fact that Sunderland have got most of their first team players missed now? Are you looking as a, as a win as opposed to maybe you'd be happy with a draw? Yeah, I'm really frustrated. Me and Glenn do a prediction competition and he actually went for a 1-0 win to Shrewsbury. I, put, I went for one all on last Sunday. Um, but yeah, if you've got that many players out, I'd expect us to win. So yeah, for me that does turn. For me, it turns a draw into a win for Shrewsbury. Yeah, absolutely, and I think that's probably why we're discussing the EFL potentially not doing the right thing by the fact that we're going to be getting cost points, unfortunately. But um, as always, Ollie, thanks for popping on. Thanks for giving us a lowdown on what's going on with Shrewsbury. And apart from Saturday, good luck for the rest of the season. Cheers. Thanks for having me on. My pleasure, mate.